Welcome to The GAC Files, a podcast about the people, issues, and ideas driving Global Affairs Canada. Bienvenue dans les dossiers d'AMC, un balado sur les personnes, les défis et les idées qui animent Affaires mondiales Canada. And now, introducing your host, Global Affairs Canada's David Morrison. Et maintenant, présentant votre hôte, David Morrison, d'Affaires mondiales Canada. David De Silva has been an FPDS officer in the department since 2002, with postings to Manila, Beirut, and Caracas, where I first met him in the summer of 2014. David came by the GAC files recently to talk about being yourself, putting people first, the ins and outs of deliverology, and his work as co-chair of GAC Pride the department's LGBTQ2 plus network. David De Silva, welcome. It's always uh, always great to see you. Thanks. Uh, <laughs> thanks for the invitation. <laughs> we, we were just joking before going on air. We first met um, in, uh, in Caracas three or four years ago this month during uh, what must rank as one of the most spectacular uh, bilateral visits uh, <laughs> ever. Um, the, 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 the highlight in my recollection was a, uh, an evening spent on a rooftop bar kind of doing a postmortem of why we didn't <laughs> accomplish any of our goals during yeah. the day. But it did allow me, if I recall correctly at that moment to, to, um, uh, get to know you a little bit. And, and I think I paid you a compliment, um, about your political reporting in the sense that, this is for all of our listeners. Um, really great reporting stands out, Thanks. and ADMs uh, uh, look for it. And if someone is a beautiful writer, which I think David is, that uh, makes it not just useful but also a pleasure to read. Anyhow, we'll get to um, to all of that. Most recently, you and I have uh, interacted in your role as co-chair of uh, GAC Pride, which is the LGP. TQ2 plus uh, employee network and and I want to hear about that but let's as we're as we do on the, the GAC files let's start at the beginning tell me where you're from and how you ended up going international sure uh, th thanks for the invitation I'm uh, I'm a Mississauga boy so for anyone out <laughs> when I'm when I'm outside of Canada I say I'm from Toronto to develop some street cred but uh, for anyone who really knows Canada I'm, I'm I grew up in Mississauga um my family is from Goa originally, so two, two generations back uh, on both sides of my family. Uh, for those who, uh, and one of the great things about the Foreign Service, I must admit, is that when you say Goa, a lot of people already know the history, so sure. I don't, I don't yeah, have to yeah, do the song yeah, and dance yeah. for most people. But uh, for those who don't know, it's a former Portuguese colony in mm -hmm. India. Um, my parents each grew up, they were born and grew up in East Africa separately and, uh, and, and did not know each other. That's right. right. They and left when they were expelled. Exactly. Right. So my dad's family left when, he was ex when they were expelled in, in the 70s. My mom uh, grew up in Kenya. Uh, and their family immigrated to Canada. Just give a little, many people won't even know the story behind the expulsions. So just give a yeah, little so bit of that. Yeah, so Idi Amin um, was elected, I guess he was elected, uh, um, uh, on, a, on a platform of sort of Africa first. It was in the wave of independence. In Uganda. In, in Uganda, yeah, yeah. that's right. And, uh, and it quickly developed a, an anti-Asian platform, I suppose. And so um, it was fueling 
I think it's safe to say hatred against mm. against members of the specifically South Asian community. And uh, in 1972, if, I can, if I'm getting my years right, um, announced the expulsion of, uh, of tens of thousands right. of Asians. And so uh, there were large communities, particularly Ismaili, mm. um, Anglo-Indian, Goan, um, who were forced to leave. And a lot of a lot of Ismailis came to Canada. That's at that right. Moment. And so, right. Uh, actually, in, in a in a strange parallel, I mean, I have a lot of Ismaili friends within the department and outside of the department, uh, whose whose familial lives, their their ancestry traces a very similar to history, East Africa, sure, um, to East Africa. And so, as a consequence, Canada was one of the few countries that let in large quantities of of people at that time. Uh, neither my neither of my parents came here as refugees. Um, my dad my dad came on a student visa. Uh, so did my mom. Um, but uh, as a result of the shared immigration, I suppose, uh, they're, they're both first-generation Canadians. Uh, I'm a second-generation mm -hmm. Canadian. Um, but that gave me a really... Uh, I, I, growing up in southern Mississauga, which at the time was extraordinarily white, it's still pretty white, mm. um, of always being an outsider, but an outsider that's you know, sort of lived among... Among white people, I have nothing against white people. I have many <laughs> as my friends, but um, but it, I went to a high school that was so white that right. I occasionally had to remind myself that I wasn't uh, right. because. I, so I was, how, how did your how did your folks end up in Mississauga? Um, let's see. I, I guess it would be my dad. My dad's medical practice. So he went to uh, he went to the University of Ottawa. So mm. th this was his first stop in Canada here, um, and had his whole experience skating to work and skating to school rather. Um, did his ma his uh, medical degree at Western. My, um, that's where he met my mom. Uh, who's also doing her graduate work at Western. And then my dad moved to Toronto uh, to do his residency at St. Joe's mm. uh, in downtown Toronto. And so that's where they decided to settle. And and, go, and Toronto is one of the populations, uh, go, centers for Goan populations around the world, uh, along with just a handful of cities. Uh, so did you speak some Portuguese growing up? I did not. E embarrassingly enough, uh, thanks to the work in the department, um, uh, my French is good, my Spanish is good, I speak a little bit of Arabic still from postings in, in the Middle East, um, and, and I learned even a little bit of Filipino when I was in the, in the Philippines, but I never really learned Portuguese, <laughs> much to the shame of my, uh, the, the, the astonishment of my, my grandparents uh, and, and extended relatives, but it's something on my, my bucket list at some right, point. Right, right. Um, so, so you had, I mean, I'm always interested in, in why people end up joining the foreign service. You had international roots from the, the get go. So was it a, was it a natural? Is that all you ever wanted to do or what else did you it, it wasn't on my agenda screen at all, actually. Um, I, I finished, uh, my undergrad was at McGill and I did grad school in the UK and my plan was to work in the NGO sector in, in mm. development. My, my background, my academic background is urban planning, urban mm. development. You know, largely in the third world. Uh, that's still a topic that fascinates me. But um, I didn't intend to go this route until a, a friend of mine in, in residence with me, also Canadian, um, at grad school in London, uh, said, hey, there's this fantastic... So you went you know, down to Canada House so and... So I, I, I listened to the podcast yeah, and uh, yeah, we, we, wrote, we wrote the exam in the same spot, yeah. uh, uh, except uh, maybe a few years different. So I met yeah. Mel Cap, who at the time was the, the high commissioner sure. there. And uh, I think that was my first time in any Canadian office yeah, it's abroad first ever. First time, I'd, yeah. Um, and then I ended up interviewing in Brussels because that's where the interviews happened to be that year. Um, and then from uh, the end of grad school, I, I came immediately to the department. J'étais vraiment chanceux d'être parmi les personnes engagées en dans les conditions d'abdination de laquelle Francis a parlé dans une édition antérieure. Alors j'ai passé c'était cinq mois en total. Ouais. en français à plein temps, euh, puis j'ai commencé ici au ministère en 2002. Ouais. Alors, le, le période, c'était euh, super intéressant pour moi, euh, parce qu'il y avait tous les étudiants euh, à l'époque à Bisson, 
Ouais. le centre de formation, mais c'était aussi la période de, de 9-11. Ouais. Alors, il y avait des grands changements au ministère, mm. euh, au niveau, au niveau de, de sécurité, mais aussi de, de la politique. Um, so, to enter the department at that time was fascinating, which sort ouais. of brings us back to where you started this question. When I, when I um, started in the department, one of the things that shocked me in, in walking the hallways in 2002 is uh, the number of white men that were yeah. going up and down the hallways. Mm. And, uh, and I had uh, Patricia Marsden-Dole who was uh, my DG for, for a fairly short period of time. But I remember she stuck out because she was a woman. And mm. and that I, I felt embarrassed that she stuck out because mm. she was yeah. a woman. I, yeah. I felt like I shouldn't be noticing these kinds of things, but I did because it was still a, a world that was dominated. After years and years of, of very little hiring um, in the 90s, um, the department had a lot of the middle management and senior management was largely was white, largely white. Yeah. and male. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah, and that's something that, that has changed. If you want to talk about progress in the department in the last 15 mm. years, uh, it's pretty impressive to see the, the diversity that reflects uh, now the Canadian population a lot better than it yeah. used to. So you, uh, you joined, you walked the halls for a while, and then we, we sent you out to uh, Beirut? No, uh, to, Philippines. to the Philippines. Yeah. So, so for listeners, David has had uh, postings in the Philippines, in Beirut, which almost seemed like a double. It was. We were there was for four yep. years. Yep. And um, and also in Caracas. So that was, maybe I only have the first 15 years, right? Yep. But you, no, you, right. you were, you had a good, you had a good role. And, and in talking about this, uh, this podcast and what we wanted to talk about, um, David sent in a whole range of fascinating things, including his fascination with public transport or public transit. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so we can talk about that, but valuable lessons that you have learned. These were just lessons that, um, that David offered up, uh, Lesson number one was put people first. Um, I'd rather work in a war zone with a great manager than in a peaceful situation with a terrible manager. Talk to us about that. So, um, yeah, uh, it, maybe I've only come to this realization in the last four or five years. Um, and, and I've heard you talk about this in previous podcasts as well. But uh, maybe it's a wisdom you get as you, you mature through not only the, the, the foreign service, but I think public service and maybe just careers in general, that uh, it's more important often who you work for rather than yeah. what you work on. Uh, I've worked in very difficult environments. Um, and, uh, and in some of the worst environments, I've had the privilege of working with some of the best people mm-hmm. that I've ever met. And uh, I think that's really key. Um, I have, uh, I've had managers who, at the first sign of crisis, uh, their first thought was for the safety and security of their team. And their second thought is, okay, um, in order to get them to do good work, once they're happy and healthy and safe, in order to get them to do good work, how do we keep them happy and healthy and safe? So their first and second thoughts were really, you know, are they immediately Mm -hmm. safe today? Second, we're going to be moving to a a sort of 24-hour shift schedule. How do we keep this going in the long term? And then after those two things were taken care of, then we talk about achieving Canada's objectives. Mm -hmm. Um, But really, it's about about putting people first. Um, Mm -hmm. One of the coolest things I've discovered, although I've never worked in these divisions myself, Um, is is that for a long time the department's had a very good track record of taking care of its people that work in the hardest right. places. Um, so humanitarian affairs, disasters, um, the watch center. Uh, th- these are places where they're used to dealing with crises on a, on a daily basis. And, uh, and I don't know where I acquired this piece of wisdom, but one of the senior managers once told me, um, in, in a place that has so much crisis, um, the crisis can't afford to be within the buildings. I, I've mm. modified that. 
uh, as my personal personal credo that in in hardship five missions, um, your biggest problem as an employee should never be inside the walls. Right. Uh, it should never be uh, a problem within the control of the government of Canada. And so when you're working in some of the most difficult places in the world, um, I think it's really important to put people first, to think about uh, about their needs. And that's not only just the Canadians um, who are working within the walls, but it's also their spouses, it's also their kids. Um, and I particularly want to talk about LES. Um, mm. A good example is Venezuela. Uh, so when I when I left Venezuela, I actually uh, told the LES as a group at, at my despedida, at my farewell, um, that I want to thank them for two things. In addition to, you know, being great employees and that kind of stuff. Two things. First, um, thank you for for not leaving. Uh, in, in a lot of difficult environments, we hire some of the best locals around. Yeah. And that means that these are people who speak multiple languages. They've got options. They have options. They are portable. They know how to travel. They have passports. They have roots outside the country as well as inside the country. They don't have to work for us, Mm. but they choose to because they believe that they can make their country a better place and and that working with Canada um, is the best way they can do that. So thank you for not leaving. Um, But second... Um, thank you for making a difference. That 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 these people um, are office wor- often working in very dangerous conditions um, to try and make a difference. But but unlike us, unlike the Canadians in the embassy who have most of our family and friends safe at home in Canada uh, most of the time, these are people who are juggling you know their work objectives with also their you know if there's shots being fired in the city, their yeah. kids are in daycare. Well, on how the do I the city. you know how do I get this? How do I yeah, get that? how do I get that? How do I how am I going to go home and make sure that my kids get enough to eat before they go to bed? Um, yeah. At the same time as they're trying to, you know, um, help us with consular assistance or do political reporting, yeah. it's part of why we sign up. No, mm-hmm. no because it um, living those experiences challenges our assumptions about what a normal life is, yeah. and uh, and certainly for me reinforces the sense of how darn lucky we are to live uh, where we do uh, in 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 Canada. I, I, I've, I agree. I think the department is, uh, I think it's part of the culture that we look after uh, each other, uh, in particularly in hardship missions. I, I do think, though, that th- there needs to also be some aftercare that mm-hmm. we, we think about more deliberately when people come home from hardship missions and or from uh, hard experiences. I'm thinking of uh, the... the uh, uh, personal involvement I've had with the recent events in Havana, mm-hmm. but certainly after Afghanistan or after uh, many of the other things that our colleagues uh, live through, they, you know, people come back and they get reintegrated here in Ottawa and integrated into different parts of this department. But we also need a mechanism to make certain that they're uh, that they're doing okay. David De Silva lesson uh, number two or, or learning number two is uh, be yourself. Let your personality shine and people will let their guard down. Things flow much more easily if you are being yourself. Being gay and being Catholic have each opened up avenues of possibility for me as a diplomat abroad. Talk to us about that. This this is a this is more of a, a difficult thing because I'm still I'm still discovering this along my path, um, but uh, uh, in my capacity as co-chair for the Pride Network, um, we held a, a, a seminar um, on being being queer, being LGBTQ, um, and being rotational or diplomatic or that kind of stuff uh, for the International Day Against um, Homophobia, Transphobia, and Biphobia. Mm-hmm. And we invited the head of mission of Australia here in Ottawa, uh, Natasha Smith, to come and and talk about her experience. She is the co-chair of Australia's, of, of DFATS, 
um, equivalent group. And one of the things she said during the, the that meeting, during the, the workshop, was be authentic. People, mm-hmm. people, people can smell a fake from a mile away. And when you're being your whole self, um, you're bringing your A game. Um, and so that's that's actually quite important. Uh, and for me, I mean, uh, I would have never imagined being out in high school. It just wasn't possible mm. uh, in in that era and, and in where I went to high school. But um, rather than see it as something you need to hide or cover up, uh, I view it now as sort of something that it's, it's like having a whole keychain full of different keys. And so right. um, some people in the department might only have two. I have six, so why hide <laughs> it? Uh, I, I can go and talk knowledgeably to the Archbishop of Manila about um, challenges in the Catholic Church in Manila and, and how they're going to deal with it and, you know, how those neatly dovetail with some of Canada's objectives, yeah. like abolishing the death penalty, helping mm-hmm. migrant workers. Um, but at the same time, I can go in Lebanon and talk to uh, LGBT associations and talk to them knowledgeably about some of the challenges facing them, uh, such as criminal prosecutions, mm-hmm. violence against, uh, against their citizens. Um, so you, the ability to, to access different parts of your, of your identity of your identity to leverage them for work hmm. um, is makes you both a more effective diplomat, but also makes for far more interesting postings. Right. Because you get to meet people from all sorts of different walks of life. You, that, have, you have entree that's into, right. into, into yeah. those communities. And and in a way, isn't that sort of what being a diplomat's all about? It's about using your, your personal access um, for state benefit. In, in mm. a way, you're, you're, you're being the interlocutor for the state. Yeah. Um, Although one, one hopes it's not all about the crown <laughs> in, <laughs> in the sense that... Uh, Having the privilege to live and serve abroad and 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 deploy those different parts of your identity also is just personally enriching. It is. Uh, it is pretty awesome. Um, and then finally, um, David has written: Never underestimate the future. Uh, by this, I mean thinking about where today's intern in your division is going to end up, or where your local support superstar NGO head will end up, or where your small town mayor could end up. I have had work contacts who have become ministers and presidents, been assassinated or kidnapped, or become lifetime friends. And I think there's just real wisdom in in being aware that mm-hmm. the situations that we find ourselves in aren't static, uh, particularly in some of the places we're called upon to to serve. Where you know one of my uh, frankly more junior colleagues at uh, UNDP in New York from one day to the next became prime minister of Haiti. <laughs> so, so it, I mean, there's all sorts of life lessons in, in there, but, but talk to us about, um, you know, never under it, never underestimating the future as kind of a thing you live by. Uh, I'm going to start with a funny anecdote that I was actually thinking about when I listened to Stephanie Beck's, um, interview with you. Uh, so I was, I was the desk officer for Cambodia when she was assigned to become the ambassador. Of course. And on that particular day, it was honestly, this might have been two weeks into my time in the department when she, uh, when she got uh, named and, and was about to head out. And I, all I was told is that the amb- our future ambassador to Cambodia was coming and needed to be briefed. And at the same time, there would be a summer student who was showing up and needed to be trained. And so this this young looking girl came. I, to, I know where this is yeah, going. Yeah, <laughs> pretty embarrassing, right? Like, so this young girl just came to my office and is like, "Hi, uh, I'm here to talk about Cambodia." I'm like, "Great, no problem. I have an ambassador coming. So one second, I'm just going to put you down with these books. Have a have a flip through." And she very patiently sat down. And it was only about ten minutes later that I thought. Oh wait a second! Oh my God, what have I just done? Um, so uh, never underestimate images either, uh, or, or appearances. Um, but in terms of uh, or unconscious bias, or unconscious bias, that's a, that's actually a really really good right. point. Um, 
And and it was amazing watching Stephanie work in, in the first year or two. I remember uh, in the middle of a crisis once in Cambodia, she was both taking care of her family and, you know, as, as I, I believe that she was climbing out of the back of her residence into a boat or something like that to escape, you know, gunfire kind of thing, while she's simultaneously, like, feeding her brand new baby and sending messages on a BlackBerry and mm. absolutely incredible. Um, but in terms of other other experiences, I mean, uh, good colleagues uh, of the embassy in, in Beirut, uh, Mohammed Chatta, he, he, he was a wise counsel to to a number of foreign embassies, and I would consider him to be a friend, um, and subsequently named minister in a Lebanese cabinet and assassinated a few years ago. Um, I had the privilege and honor of being one of the few diplomats to interview um, uh, Rodrigo Duterte when he was the mayor wow. of, Deva- of Davao in the south of the, of the now, country. Now the president. Now the president. And and uh, he had a very similar reputation at the time um, as to the one that tough, he has right tough now. Tough guy. Tough guy, law and order. Um, what, what did you interview him you were just on courtesy calls, or it was a courtesy call. It was my first trip to the south of the country, and he hadn't met a lot of a lot of foreign diplomats uh, up to that point. Um, and so, uh, as often happens uh, when you visit remote places, or yeah. I mean, it's not super remote, but uh, outside of the capital, um, I gathered with a bunch of Western embassies ahead of time and said, "Hey, what should I talk about? I'm, I'm mm-hmm. fairly new at this game. What do I do?" And they all said, "Yeah, talk about human rights." And so mm-hmm. I did, and uh, and he was quite direct. You know, he said, "You know, that's, I don't, I don't that's, that's his reputation. It's his <laughs> reputation. I don't, I don't murder kids. I don't, uh, I don't, uh, I don't do anything, you know, illegal. But uh, when the bad things happen, it's my job as mayor to take care of them." And, yeah, uh, and if I have it right, this is a, a president who is on the record of of having uh, bragged or at least admitted to uh, killing people. That's right. I, I I don't think bragged is uh, is an exaggeration. I, mm. I think he's proud of his record in, in that respect. And so working with uh, with a very active civil society um, uh, helped helped to keep people to account. Uh, helped them to keep their own politicians to account. But but uh, it all goes to say you never know where people are going to end up. Mm. Um, e- even even within the department, um, as I mentioned earlier, I've had the luck of working. I mean, I, I worked with Stephanie uh, fairly early on in my career, and so that was a very good mentor for me and, and model for behavior. Um, Don Bobiash, Mark Wazdecki. Um, these are former directors of mine. And so I've, right. I've picked up great tips from them mm. on how to be an effective manager, how to, to think across borders and to think across silos, um, how to treat people. Um, but also, you know, never underestimate <laughs> where people are going to end up in the future. So sure. It's yeah. important. Good, uh, good, good advice. I, I'm, I'm struck by your emphasis a while ago on authenticity. Um, I did a year-long I was sent on a year-long leadership course. And if there was one thing that shone through, it was that, that um, true leaders are authentic. Mm-hmm. They know who they are, and that's, and that's, what, they, that's what they project. So um, uh, anyhow, f- uh, f- food for thought. As I look at the list of things you've done and... Um, les choses que tes enthousiasmes j'ai l'idée d'un d'un diplomate de old school quelqu'un qui qui aime les rues qui aime les gens qui qui a une une curiosité and yet now you have chosen to work on results and delivery. <laughs> that was a long setup, but 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 talk talk to I mean I mean your your 
list of interests and track record is fascinating. And yet I do recall um, you sort of put your hand up for this assignment in what in this town uh, was called for a while deliverology. Mm-hmm. Why? I, I think uh, setup might be might be the <laughs> the accurate word here actually. Um, so I, I've for a while been. I mean, I'm 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 a fairly proud political officer, uh, FPDS, uh, whatever you'd like to call it nowadays. Um, and I think there's a lot of political officers who do outstanding work, uh, and and maybe aren't uh, don't get the same profile. Uh, it's sort of the the unwritten secret that political is the most prestigious. But frankly, I think we've been sort of left to our own devices in recent years, and uh, and so. One of the areas where we've suffered, and it's our own fault in a way, is being able to consistently describe what we do yeah. and how we achieve results. Um, and and therefore, without being able to speak this language of results, without saying, you know, here's what I've achieved during my three years or four years um, doing political work overseas, we've been unable to actually show off our assets, show off the, the good work that we're doing. Um, but it's also put us in the unfortunate position of sometimes becoming a little bit arrogant about about being forced to measure. Um, yeah. tra- trade officers wouldn't flinch, or a development officer wouldn't flinch, or an MCO wouldn't it's, flinch. It's, it's asked. part of the culture. It's part like, of the what, culture. Did, what did you do for me in the last quarter? That's what right. did you do for me in the last year? And it used to drive me crazy at the United Nations and elsewhere when someone couldn't tell you. Yep. And maintained the relationship Yep. That doesn't really cut it. Are, are you saying <laughs> that I haven't furthered bilateral relations successfully? Uh, and, and so, and that that unfortunately is still the the comments you get from from a few political officers. And so, part of what uh, and, and and I'll be honest, uh, it, it may have been some commentary that I've shouted down a phone line occasionally at the poor right. folks in the strategic division. You can't measure what I do. <laughs> I am untouchable. Um, um, and so. Um, yeah, so this is part of what interested me coming back. Um, That's great. I, I was looking around at what was available, um, and this really, this really was was awesome. And uh, I also Nicole Giles um, yep. was was in charge of the file at the time, um, and I knew her from uh, from being yeah, high commissioner very next door. Talented uh, DG, DG yep. who's now at finance. That's right. Right. And uh, and and she sort of saw that that glint in my eye for this kind of stuff, and 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 fortunately nabbed me. Um, and, and I accepted to be nabbed. And so uh, it, it's been fascinating trying to come up with ways of, of figuring out how to measure things like Canadian leadership. How do you measure that? And, and when we control so few levers, deliverology um, or results in delivery was always intended to be something very tangible. How do you, um, how do you improve the number of trains that arrive on time? Mm. How do you improve performance in emergency rooms? How do you improve performance on mathematic tests for grade three students? Yeah. Very tangible. We control all the levers. It's something we can do something about. And so even within the government of Canada, where this is this is being applied across the entire government of Canada, there are some things that the government of Canada controls better than others. We can control, um, although it might not seem like we can, um, procurement, d- defense procurement. We can control um, uh, oil water advisories to a large extent. There, yeah. are, there are some factors that are outside of our control, but we have most of the levers. When you're talking about our trade relationship with Europe, Oof, we yeah. control a small part of it, but not all of it. When right. you talk about our, our relationship with North Korea, gosh, we are just one among mm. dozens of, of, of players. And so trying to measure this in a way that is accountable and transparent is super trans mm. is super fascinating and challenging. Yeah. Um, yeah. And to do this, you need, well, you need a team. You need a village to do this. And so we've gone out to universities. We've talked to other mm. foreign ministries. We've talked to other departments mm. across town. Mm. And, and the consensus is we're still learning. Yeah, well, daunting... Uh, challenge, and I'm sure I'm sure other foreign ministries could learn from us, and and vice versa. 
we're we're going to bump up against time, but I did want to uh, come back to your work with the GAC Pride Network. Uh, just tell us a little bit about um, uh, how long the network has uh, been in existence, um, uh, wh what it has accomplished, because I believe it was recently uh, recognized. Mm -hmm. Um, I recall very well when, when, the, when you and uh, I guess the co-chair came around to see the deputies and you had seemed to, in the, great, in the greatest entrepreneurial tradition, you had found a gap and you had filled it with a, with a uh, very useful organization carrying out useful activities. So talk to us a little bit about how that began. Je, je devrais euh, euh, pas commencer à donner tout le crédit à mon euh, co-président, Mélanie Béjet, qui ouais. est maintenant, euh, euh, elle quitte en affectation à Paris. Mais euh, je crois que, je ne sais pas pour, euh, pour être complètement sûr, mais pendant une, une vingtaine d'années, il y avait toujours un réseau euh, informel ouais. des, des hommes gays, principalement ouais. des hommes gays, qui, qui s'est rencontré pour prendre une bière, pour comparer des notes, pour... Euh, ici au ministère? Ici ou... au ministère, okay. euh, spécifiquement au ministère, euh, et pour euh, donner des conseils. Ouais. Mais ce n'était jamais quelque chose de plus formel. Euh, la structure pour des, des groupes minoritaires, je n'aime pas cette, cette terminologie, mais, mais uh, Employment Equity Group, sure. en général, c'est écrit dans les années 80. À l'époque, euh, même l'idée que les lesbiens, les gays, et um, bi et trans were just totally mm -hmm. out of the picture, mm -hmm. uh, pourrait être une groupe uh, Identi identifié ouais. uh, comme une groupe uh, vulnérable, pas ouais. vulnérable, mais, mais, uh, mais qui a besoin avec, de l'aide. Oui, et avec, avec leurs propres besoins. Exact, ouais. exact. Alors, uh, comme groupe, nous, nous étions uh, exclus de, de cette infrastructure. Uh, mais dans les, quelques, dans les dernières quelques années, il y avait un besoin identifié par les membres, par, par les employés du ministère, pour avoir uh, plus d'informations, ouais. plus d'aide. Uh, les, les, les familles LGBT sont plus complexes qu'avant maintenant. Avec le mariage de même sexe, avec les ad adoptions uh, légales au Canada, uh, il y avait un euh, besoin d'avoir plus d'informations sur, sur les questions comme « si je suis affecté en Chine, est-ce que mon conjoint peut amener… » Euh, son enfant, euh, notre enfant avec nous. Si je suis un homme avec VEH, mmh. euh, est-ce qu'il y a des services euh, mentaux et, et de santé qui, qui seront disponibles en Afrique du Sud pour ouais, moi? Ouais. Um, si je suis un homme gay, est-ce que je peux amener mon conjoint avec moi, avec une visa, avec toutes les protections di diplomatiques? Um, Sans être marié. Exact. Ouais. Ou même, ou, ou même, même marié. Même ouais. Dans un pays où ce n'est pas reconnu, ouais. est-ce que je vais avoir la même protection pour ma famille qu'un homme straight pourrait avoir pour, ouais. Pour, ouais. pour sa famille? Alors, euh, nous avons décidé comme groupe d'organiser un peu plus formellement pour obtenir cette information. And, and, and if I recall correctly, part of that information is legislative, so it's relatively mm -hmm. easy to, to collect. It just hadn't been done. But the more interesting part was cultural. Yeah. What's it like to live in country X or country Y if you're gay or lesbian? And and so just in terms of a of a uh, of a need identified and and filled, um, you, you guys have uh, uh, I think really done 
uh, your community, but also the wider uh, community of colleagues at, at Global Affairs of Tremendous Service. So uh, I know you'll I know you'll keep it up, and I and I think uh, many others will be watching as to what. Uh, what happens to David De Silva after Deliverology? Me too. Me too, indeed. <laughs> there, there is. I am only at the halfway point in my career, and and uh, I, there's a there's a mantra in foreign affairs that I've heard several times, and that's you know you need to go outside to get experience. Mm. And I've thought about this, and and yeah, sure, maybe I will at some point. Out, uh, meaning outside, outside of the global affairs. Yeah. Sure. So maybe you know go to PCO for a bit. Try TPS. Maybe try a, a different government department. But gosh, I love this place. Yeah. The, the work is the work is addictive. Um, the colleagues are are brilliant and intelligent and energetic and and I couldn't imagine being anywhere else and and mm-hmm. until I do, um, gosh, this is a great place to be. Well, thank you um, uh, for your what you've done for the department. Thanks for your uh, fun anecdotes, and uh, we re- really will be uh, watching as to what your next steps are. Thanks so much. We hope you enjoyed today's discussion. If you have feedback or suggestions for future topics or guest speakers, please send David an email. Nous espérons que vous avez apprécié la discussion d'aujourd'hui. Si vous avez des commentaires ou des suggestions concernant de sujets futurs ou de nouveaux conférenciers, veuillez envoyer un courriel à David. Thank you for listening, and we look forward to you joining us on the next episode of The GAC Files. Merci d'avoir écouté le balado et nous espérons que vous vous joindrez à nous pour le prochain épisode des dossiers d'AMC.